Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of getting to meet yet, my name is Andrew Irwin. I get to be one of the pastors here at The Vine, and it really is an honor for me to be with you as we jump back into our message series called Sensational Christmas, in which we've been talking about what it looks like for us to really experience God this Christmas season. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how we can experience God through our sense of smell. And so I mentioned to my seven-year-old son that we're going to be talking about smell this morning, and there was a lot of gig that came out of his little body. And that's because the only thing that he can think of about smells right now is the things that come out of him after Taco Tuesday, right? 
That's, that's kind of the season of life we're in in the Irwin household. Thankfully, there are a lot of more pleasant smells that we can talk about. For me, one of the most pleasant smells, one of the most powerful smells is cinnamon. And I think that's because when I was a little kid, we used to make an annual pilgrimage to Ocala, Florida to go visit my great-grandmother. And so we would go to Granny McGuire's house. We would be all loaded up in the minivan. We would finally get there and we would take like that first step into her house and we would be like bathed like soaked in this sense of cinnamon just washing over you because she would have a fresh from scratch homemade apple pie baking in the oven and it was glorious now what's fascinating about that is to this day I love going into like retail centers where they've got those cinnamon brooms out like I like slowly make my way through those like I might throw one in the cart with me so that it follows me around all over the store I mean it I love that smell What's interesting for me is like, I love the smell of a fresh apple pie. I've never really cared that much for the taste of fresh apple pie. And before you're like thinking I'm really crazy, I'm just gonna push it over the top and let you know, I feel the exact same way about coffee. It smells amazing and tastes like dirt. <laughs> like I, I love the smell, it's amazing, but it, tastes terrible. For those of you I just lost, I apologize. You can direct all of your emails to Gus at connecttothevine.org. He will be fielding all of the coffee complaints that you have. Now, what's interesting is that studies indicate that there is just something like powerful about our sense of smell and our ability to experience things. And like scientifically speaking, there's this part of our bodies called the olfactory bulb that's kind of like our body's way of really experiencing things in heightened ways. In fact, there's like a highway between our olfactory bulb and the parts of our brain that correlate with memory and experience as well as emotion. And the way that scientists have discovered this is fascinating. When they, when they kind of hook people up to a brain scan so they can monitor the brain's activities, what they'll do is they'll bombard them with different sensations. And this is fascinating. So like you've got somebody hooked up to a brain scan and all of a sudden, if you start like having flashing lights come at them, you can kind of see what parts of the brain sight activates. And you can do the same thing for sound. And the parts of the brain that light up the most when you introduce smells to someone is the parts of their brain associated with memory experience and emotion. There's something about that. Now, I don't really need to tell you that because you've probably had experiences like that. For instance, where you just catch a, like a whiff or a hint of someone's perfume or their cologne and you instantly have somebody's face come to mind or you have a moment or a memory just wash over you. All of a sudden you're taken back to another place because of that sense of smell. And that's why um, for Christmas, like Bath and Body Works is always a good gift. Guys, nine days left. That is your PSA for the morning, okay? Nine days left, Bath and Body Works, always a good gift. That's the same reason why when you're walking through the mall, like your body all of a sudden starts steering sideways when you get close to Yankee Candle, right? Like you just instantly find yourself, you didn't even come looking for candles and all of a sudden there you are in Yankee Candle and you can't leave. It's the weirdest thing because those smells evoke emotions in your mind and it happens without us even being aware of it. It's just something that washes over us. That's why in this series, we've been talking about how our senses can help us connect to things, even 
connect to God. And so this morning, I really wanna just dig into why smell is such a powerful thing. And to help kind of illustrate this, we wanted to fill this room with some different scents this morning. Now, we had a lot of conversations about what scent would be the most powerful. I was in the Christmas tree scent. Like I wanted pine all throughout the room. That was the camp that I found myself in. Like I was gonna go get some of those like car air fresheners that hang from people's windows and just put them in every seat. I thought that would really be especially meaningful for those of you who don't have a real Christmas tree to like really get in the Christmas spirit. We also talked about, you know, like the smell of some freshly break, fresh, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies right? How, would, how good would that have been wafting through the air? Or for me, like the smell that really gets me every time is like fresh homemade cinnamon roll smell, right? Like when you wake up and you smell cinnamon rolls baking in your house, all those of you on keto are like, say what? <laughs> right? Okay. How about this? Keto friendly. When you have bacon frying in the pan, yeah. Yeah, and you smell it, right? Isn't there just something like visceral, tangible about that smell that really helps us to have an incredible, incredible experience? Now, we thought about going with all of these different scents, all of these different aromas, but ultimately we didn't go, one with, go with one that might connect with your Christmas experiences, but we went with one that would help connect you to the Christmas story, the very first Christmas. That's why when you came in, I hope that you, that you got just a hint, a light tasting or a light smelling of frankincense. And I say light because we went just, just very faint because we didn't want to overwhelm anybody. Also, frankincense is expensive, okay? We are on a budget, okay, people? So we couldn't go too crazy. We just wanted you to get a sense of how good that smell is. And to be honest with you, the expense of frankincense is part of the reason why we marvel at the fact that it was a gift given to Jesus at his baby shower. Don't believe me? Let's check out Matthew chapter two together this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or Bible app, go ahead and open with me to Matthew chapter two. We're gonna be looking specifically at verses nine through 11. And as you're flipping there, I just wanna give you a little context on Matthew. When we say we're gonna be reading from Matthew, it's not the gospel of Matthew. It's not about Matthew's life. It's actually the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. And so it's the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as told by Matthew. And some of you might be going, well, who's Matthew? Matthew's a fascinating character because he actually was a Jewish tax collector who was hated by Jews. Why? <laughs> because he was actually overtaxing them to the point where he was essentially stealing from them. And so his own people hated him. And yet this Jewish rabbi named Jesus didn't hate him, loved him, and invited him to come and follow him. So Matthew was one of the very first Jesus followers. And he wrote down this account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he tells us all about Jesus's life. He even tells us stories about the time before Matthew had even encountered Jesus. And so he tells us the story of shortly after Jesus's birth, Jesus has an experience with these people called Magi. Now, Magi were believed to be wise men who came from the East, likely from Asia. And the reason they were so wise is because they studied a wide variety of things. Among the things they studied would have been astronomy and prophecy. And so when these wise men, these magi, saw a star rise in the east, they believed that it was connected to a prophecy from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, in which it says, when a star rises, when a star rises, 
it will be followed by the newborn king who will rule the world. And so those magi felt like they just had no choice. They had to come and see this newborn king. And so they traveled from afar. And in fact, some scholars believe it could have been upwards of 3,000 miles that these men traveled. And they come and they come to Jerusalem first. And when they go to Jerusalem, they don't just meet anybody, they meet the king. They go to King Herod and have a conversation with him about why it is that they are there to begin with. And these magi tell King Herod that they want to worship the newborn king. And so then they go from Jerusalem and they just make a quick journey over to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, they find Jesus. And it says they bow down and worship him and give him gifts. Now, just as an aside, on a regular basis, we talk about how giving gifts is an act of worship. And we actually see that modeled for us by these magi. And today I wanna dig into the specifics of the gifts that those men brought to Jesus. So let's pick up reading together with Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. This is what it says. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, we know that there was three gifts offered, but we do not actually know how many men it was who offered these three gifts. My kids are convinced that there was three wise men because in their play school nativity, there are three, well, there were three wise men. Now there's one and a half wise men, but that, that's a different story for a different day. But they started out with three wise men. Now, there may have been, or there could have been more. What we do know is they brought three gifts, and these gifts are all really meaningful. In fact, the first gift that's mentioned is gold, and gold is a really practical gift. If you're still debating on what you're going to get, you know, the Vine staff member of your choice, you know, gold is a good practical option. I'm just putting that out there for you all. But the reason that it would have been a practical gift to give to Jesus is if you continue reading on in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus and his family had to flee from Bethlehem. And you might be wondering, why did they have to flee? Well, remember those magi? They stopped by the king and they told the king that they wanted to worship the newborn king. Well, King Herod wasn't a fan of the idea of a newborn king being in his area. And so he issued a decree that all male children under the age of two were to be executed. And so hearing about this, Jesus and his family flee to Egypt. And you might wonder, how did they get to Egypt? Well, thankfully, some magi had given them gold. It's believed that the gold from the magi is what allowed them to get to Egypt and then to stay in Egypt until King Herod's reign came to an end. This was a very good gift that was given to Jesus. But it's not the only gift that he received. He also received two other very good gifts in frankincense and myrrh. And these two gifts are good in different ways. They're good both medicinally and theologically. Medicinally speaking, frankincense and myrrh were two of the aloes or two of the oils that would have been combined into an, like an aloe that would have been placed on a body after it was killed, after they died. So in the case of Jesus of Nazareth, who lived a sinless life and died on a cross. After his death on a cross, he was taken down and his body was laid in an empty tomb. And guess what was laid on him? 
We know from John chapter 19, verse 39, that myrrh was one of the first things that touched Jesus's body. We also know from John chapter 19, verse 39, that a guy named Nicodemus showed up and he brought with him 75 pounds worth of oils. And you think your local doTERRA person's crazy. Listen, okay. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds. And certainly among those would have been frankincense. Frankincense and myrrh would have been placed on Jesus's body just after he died. And and if the name Nicodemus kind of perked up your ears, that's probably because you're familiar with him because Jesus has this really interesting conversation with him in John chapter three. And in that conversation, Nicodemus becomes the first human being to ever hear these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Nicodemus was amongst the first people to see what it looked like for God to give his one and only son. And his response was to cover him with the gifts of frankincense and myrrh. Now, these gifts of frankincense and myrrh, they obviously foreshadow not just the life of Jesus that would have been a pleasing offering to God, a scent offering, an aroma offering, but also the death that Jesus was to die. And that's why we need to pay attention closely, not just to the medicinal uses of of oils like frankincense and myrrh. We need to pay close attention to the theological ramifications of that. See, frankincense and myrrh weren't just used medicinally. They were also used in worship. If you read throughout the Old Testament, and for those of you who have taken the journey where you've read all the way through, you've seen a lot of languages, you've seen a lot of verbiage about what it means to offer a sacrifice. And among those sacrifices that would have been offered in the temple were incense offerings, pleasing to God. Well, in those incense offerings would have been frankincense and myrrh. And do you know what those symbolized for the people of God? They symbolized the presence of God. You see, those offerings were were lifted up in the temple, which was believed to be the holiest place on earth. Why? Because the presence of God was there. Frankincense and myrrh ushered in the presence of God. And stay with me. This is where it gets real good. In the Old Testament, what we see is frankincense and myrrh are indicators that God is near. Well, these magi traveling potentially thousands of miles, show up not in the holy place. In fact, they might've walked just by the holy place in Jerusalem. They were in the proximity of the temple and did not take their gifts of frankincense and myrrh to the temple to be burned. They instead took them to a baby boy born in a barn. And they offered him to Jesus as an outward sign that you no longer had to be holy and pure in order to be in the presence of God. Anybody and everybody could get into the presence of God. Think about this. These magi were not only foreigners from a foreign land, they weren't even Jewish. These are people outside of the faith who are some of the very first people to worship the newborn king. You know why? Because God wanted to make it abundantly clear to anybody who would listen that everybody can come to him that everybody has a place in his kingdom, that everybody is welcome to come and experience God. See, that's what makes Christmas so sensational. It's the idea that all of us have access to God in the flesh. 
This is a beautiful thing. And it's got huge ramifications, not just in this story, but throughout the New Testament journey. Think about a guy like Paul. If you're unfamiliar with church, Paul was this amazing guy who ended up writing the majority of the New Testament. And what, what we have in the New Testament are these letters that he wrote and he was writing back to churches that he helped start. And you might be going, wow, he sounds like he must've been this rock star pastor. I bet he had his own YouTube channel, probably had a mega church, skinny jeans, V-neck, the whole deal, right? Listen, listen, Paul didn't grow up as a pastor. He didn't grow up, he didn't grow up as a pastor's son. Nope, Paul grew up as a devout Jew who, be- who believed that this church, this idea of, of this church was actually polluting the Jewish faith and needed to be eliminated. And so he dedicated himself to the removal of the church. He persecuted Christians. And so you might wonder, how does a guy go from persecuting Christians to planting churches? How does a guy go from murdering Christians to becoming a Christian martyr himself? They encounter the risen, resurrected Jesus. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. And you know why Paul was able to encounter the resurrected Jesus? Because everybody, even those even those who are seemingly filled with hate and bigotry, even those who are clearly on the wrong track, who are clearly living outside of God's plan for their life, have access to Jesus. Our actions cannot disqualify us from the presence of God. All of us can come into God's presence. And that's what this moment in time in Matthew chapter two is is signifying for us, that everybody, even Paul, who was a guy who murdered Christians, could come into the presence of God. And here's what I love about Paul. Paul went on to write in numerous locations of his writing that he was striving to live his life as an aroma of Christ. Not only did he say that's how he was living, he called his people to live just like that. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 14 and 16, this is what Paul writes to the church he helped start in Corinth. This is what he says. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've had a moment where you committed your life to Jesus, where you said, hey, Jesus is the forgiver of my sins and Jesus is the leader of my life, then your responsibility is to smell like Christ. That might come as like a new thing for you all because you've probably had pastors in your life who stood before you and said, hey, you know what? You're a follower of Jesus. You need to look like Christ to those around you, right? They need to be able to look at your life and see Jesus in you. You've probably heard people say, you know what? You need to be the voice of Christ in our world, standing up for those who, can't, who don't have a voice for themselves. You need to say the things that Jesus is calling you to say. Listen, the, those pastors who said those things are, are right. You do need to look like Jesus. And you do need to sound like Jesus, but you've probably never heard this before. You need to smell like Jesus. You need to have the aroma of Christ in your life. Now, some of you might be going, whoa, um, 
I don't even know where to begin having the aroma of Christ in my life. You might be thinking, I smell like a lot of things, but, but not like Jesus. <laughs> if that's where you are, I, I, I wanna just walk through four specific ways that you can have the aroma of Christ grow in your life, all right? Four specific ways. Here's the first, it's worship and prayer. Never heard a pastor say that before, have you? That was brand new, you should worship and pray. No, the reason we specifically encourage you to worship and pray is because when you worship and pray, you know what happens? You're drawn into the presence of Jesus. And when you're in close proximity to the presence of Jesus, you begin to smell like Jesus. And we're promised that prayer and worship lead us into his presence. Now, some of you might hear that and go, okay, all right, I get it. So I'm supposed to be coming to church on Sunday mornings more. Well, yeah, I hope so. I hope that you want to come and be a part of this move of God that's happening here in the life of our church. I hope so. But if you think that by coming on Sunday mornings alone that you're gonna begin to smell like Jesus, you are sadly mistaken. Because worship and prayer are not limited to just corporate worship and corporate prayer. If the, only, if the only praise you lift up to God happens on Sunday morning and the only prayers you offer to God happen on Sunday morning, then you are not going to smell like Christ. This is where this matters. You've got to recognize that yes, you should be lifting up corporate prayers and you should be a part of corporate praise and worship, but you should also have personal times of praise and personal time of prayer. And that doesn't have to happen just in church. It can happen in your cubicle. It can happen in your cul-de-sac. It can happen in your carpool line. Listen, it doesn't have to look a certain structured way. All you're asked to do is worship by the way you live your life. Worship is not designed to be something that you do. It's, a, it's designed to be something that you are. <laughs> you have become, you have become by stepping into the family of God, an agent of praise and worship in our world. In fact, there should never be a moment when your life isn't praise and worship and prayer. <laughs> That's why Paul has no issue writing in 1 Thessalonians that we are called to pray without ceasing. Our life should be an active dialogue with God Almighty. And listen, when you're dialoguing with God, you begin to smell like God. And it might not be a smell that you smell, but it's an aroma that everybody around you will begin to pick up on. And that's just the first way you can increase your aroma. Here's the second way. It's through Bible study. It's through Bible study. And in fact, in this passage, what Paul is trying to say is that when you increase your knowledge of God, you increase your fragrance of God. When you increase your knowledge of God, you increase your fragrance of God. Now, again, a lot of times we have the, we have the mindset of thinking, okay, so this is just like corporate, like I need to be joining a Bible study. Yes, you should join a Bible study. In fact, I want to reiterate to you the importance of connect groups. Signups for our next semester begin on January 1st. And this matters, okay? This matters. And here's why I say it matters. If you're a person who's going, you know what? Things are so good in my life, I don't need any more prayer. And if you're saying, you know what? Things are so good in my life, I don't need any more support. And you know what? Things are so amazing in my life that I don't need any more encouragement, then don't sign up for a connect group. But if you could use a little bit more prayer, a little bit more support, and a little bit more encouragement, then sign up for a connect group. Because not only will you increase in the knowledge of God, you'll become a part of the community of God in ways that maybe you've never experienced before. 
Being a part of a connect group is one of the greatest privileges and joys of my life because I get to walk alongside brothers and sisters in Christ through the good, the bad, and the ugly of their life. And all the while, you know what I'm picking up on? The scent of Jesus in them. And when I, when I spend time with people who smell like Jesus, it encourages and inspires me to smell more like Jesus too. But listen, this idea of increasing your knowledge in God shouldn't be limited to just corporate. It's not just going to connect group. Yes, you should. And I hope you will. But also in, like dig into God's word on your own. This book is a gift. This is not designed to be a burden. Reading your Bible should not be a burden. It is a blessing. This is God's love letter to you. This is not some history book about something that happened long ago. This is the playbook for how you live your life today. This, this is the book that changes everything. Everything you need for salvation. Everything you need to live a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness is contained in the pages of this book. This book matters. And when you get into this book, this book begins to get into you. And when that happens, your life naturally begins to smell like the life of Christ. Here's the third thing for you. It's rapid repentance. Rapid repentance. Well, we already touched on how in the Old Testament, there would be a lot of prayers offered in the temple. Well, some of those prayers were prayers of confession, when, when the church or the priest or an individual had sinned against God and become aware of that sin, they would come and they would offer prayers of confession and repentance. Confession, again, is simply telling God what God already knows so that he can tell us what we don't already know, mainly that we are forgiven and set free. But not only are we praying prayers of confession, but prayers of repentance where we say, hey, we've been going on one track. It's time for us to go on another. Well, people would pray those in the temple. And when they would pray... The incense would burn and the smoke would visually look like the prayers being ascent, ascending to heaven. <laughs> Listen, if you want to show the world, if you want to represent Jesus to the world in a real intangible way, then don't just pay attention to the times when you get it right. Pay attention to the times when you get it wrong and go ahead and make it right. We live in a world today, in our Instagram culture, where we always want to put our best selves forward, where we only want to show people the best of us, where we're super guarded with our mistakes, our failures, and our flaws. No offense, but if you really want to reach somebody for the cause of Christ, don't lead with what you're great at. Lead with what you're terrible at and what you're working on. Lead with your vulnerabilities and your struggles and your strains. Because you know what? If you really want to connect with somebody, connect over where you hurt together because there's not a person in this room who's not hurting about something right now. And you have the opportunity to step into a world that I know is hurting over a whole lot of things. And this matters in so many ways. In fact, I would argue that this matters perhaps more than anything else we do because it's, per it's perhaps one of the greatest testimonies to the goodness of God that we can offer. And you know who's gotten this better way more than the church is local restaurants. Local restaurants have learned that they have two options when they make mistakes right? Say you go into a restaurant and you place your order and you order maybe your favorite thing. You've had it a thousand times. So you know exactly what's supposed to be on the plate when it comes back to you. Well, say this time what comes back on the plate's not what's supposed to be there. And you tell the waiter or the waitress, hey, this isn't right. They have two choices in that moment. They can deny it or explain it away 
and do nothing about it. They can say, no, 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 that's what you ordered. No, that's the way it always is. No, that's how it's supposed to look. Yeah, it's supposed to have a chunk missing from it, right? They, they can say that that's what it's supposed to be. But are you ever going back there? Nope, you're not. However, say you go to that restaurant, you order the same thing and they come out and it's just not right. And you tell them, hey, this is just not right. And they say, you know what? It's not, but we're gonna make it right. You're probably gonna go back there, aren't you? If they make it right. See, none of us have the expectation that every time we step into a restaurant, it's gonna be perfect, do we? No, but we do have the expectation that when it's not right, they're gonna make it right. No one in your sphere of influence has the expectation of you that you're going to be perfect. No one. But you know what they have the expectation of? That when you get it wrong, that you're gonna make it right. And far too often, you know what we do? We puff out our chest and say, no, I didn't get it wrong to begin with. In a world where nobody wants to admit that they've gotten it wrong, if you'll be humble, your scent will be strong. I'm telling you. Your scent will be strong if you will be humble enough to admit when you get it wrong and make it right. And that goes a long, long way. In fact, Jesus himself has no expectation of you being perfect. He does have an expectation of when you get it wrong, making it right. That's why we've gotta be people who rapidly repent because few things will will be more catalytic in pointing people to Jesus than us being transparent and honest about where we really are and what we really have going on is that. And here's the fourth and final thing that can really increase your scent, sharing Christ, sharing Christ. I would argue that Paul's admonition through this passage, what he's really trying to boil everything down to, what he's really trying to get at is that we are called to share Christ. And to some people, that's gonna smell like foolishness. It's gonna smell like foolishness. To those who have had their hearts hardened, it's not gonna smell like anything life-giving. It's gonna smell foolishness. But here's what's interesting. If you were to take a survey and ask the world today what the church smells like, I'm very concerned it wouldn't be the things of Christ. I think if you took a survey today and asked the world what the church smells like, they would tell you judgment, condemnation. It, it, it reeks, it reeks of putting others down and, and demanding more from people than they have to give. The, the, church, the church smells like something that is bitter and broken. Listen, what if, what if the narrative changed? So the church wasn't known for all the things we're against. What if the church was known for all the things we're for? What if when people smelled the church, it smelled of love, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of joy, of peace? What if those were the things that people smelled when they smelled the church? And do you know how we, we share that scent? By sharing Christ. Because yes, when we share Jesus, some people are gonna smell it and go, oh, that smells of foolishness. But some people are gonna smell it and go, that is the greatest smell I've ever been in contact with. That's the sweetest aroma that I ever have encountered in my entire life. It's sweeter than the smell of bacon frying in a pan. It's sweeter, 
It's sweeter than a cinnamon roll coming out of the oven. That is the greatest smell of all because it's the smell of life, true life, abundant life. That's the smell that the church should smell like. That's, that's the smell that we are all striving after. And that's the smell of us inviting other people to encounter and experience Jesus and his grace, his mercy, and his love. That's why, that's why when people ask me, hey, why, why does the vine do Christmas Eve tickets? You know what I tell them? Because we wanna, we wanna make it as easy as we possibly can for our people to invite other people. We wanna make it as easy as we can. And handing somebody a ticket you got for them and saying, hey, I'd love for you to join me is about as easy as it gets. We would love for you to invite somebody with you because maybe just maybe they'll come on Christmas Eve and they'll smell the aroma of Jesus for the very first time. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to stand at the door before a Christmas Eve service. And I love standing at the door because when people are fired up on Christmas Eve, right? I mean, people are excited to be there. I mean, sometimes on Sunday mornings, people drag their way in. They're like, you know, they're still like struggling a little bit. They're like, you know, they can't say anything other than coffee, right? You know what I'm saying? Like they can't get all the way in. But on Christmas Eve, people are fired up. And I had this one young man, he came up to me. He like bounded up to me. He was like, Pastor Andrew, man, I'm excited. And I was like, what are you excited about? And he was like, I, and he started like listing off all the things he was excited about. I'm excited about dinner tonight and breakfast in the morning. I'm excited about all the gifts I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get this and this and this, and it's gonna be amazing. And he was so excited. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Well, he came in and we went through the service. And at one point in the service, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And in that service, he surrendered his life to Jesus for the very first time. And I had the privilege of praying with him after the service. And we got done praying and he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I don't ever need another Christmas present. Because the thing that he was excited about most wasn't all the stuff that was coming after the service. It was what had just happened to him. Receiving the greatest gift of all time. The aroma of Jesus was fresh in his nostrils. He was aware of the goodness and mercy and grace of God. And you can be a part of other people experiencing that exact same thing. Now, what I love about Paul's teaching is he, he recognizes that for some of us, the easiest way for us to share Jesus is to show Jesus. And he actually writes to this in another, when he's writing to another church, a church in Ephesus. This is what he writes in Ephesians chapter five, verse two. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Listen, when you walk in love, you spread the fragrance of Christ. When you walk in love, when you're sharing and showing Jesus, you spread the fragrance of God. And when you do that, People will experience Jesus through you in ways you never imagined possible. And lives will be changed, not just in our community, but all around the world. One of the things I love that our Kids Who Children's Ministry does is they collect boxes for Operation Christmas Child. We already celebrated today that we had 180 boxes brought in. And that might not seem like a big deal to you, but for someone who's never smelled Jesus before, maybe just maybe, it could be a big deal. And I was gonna tell you a story this morning about a young man named Kuala, but I thought maybe just maybe we'd let him tell his story himself. Check out this video.
jina langu naitwa Mkwale Ronald Mkwale. Wazangu walikuwa na pesa mpaka ikabelekea aka ana ila kunulia mie viatu. Ndengeni kwa na hata hebu kwenda shuleni. Wazangu wote walikuwa wanicheka. Sabu nikuwa sina viatu. Nikuwa nakina shuleni walimu wananipigia. Ndamanga wanambia nuli mbani. Paka nikana wanahibu kwenda shuleni. Asi, ile hali wenumiza sana ndana ya mwe wangu. Nikasema, mungu naifanya njia. Naomba ufanya njia. Tulingia kwenye maombi. Mungu wakana sidi kuntia mwe kumba. Ituendele kumba mungu watatini. Kusabu walikuwa ni mda mlefu. Nikiwa naambia, naambia sipa walikipata hila, nikawa nafunjika mwa. Nipo shitena kana letia mazo mbali mbali mabali. Sometimes kwa mazo nakuja, nende laba nikaombe mtani. Au nikahibi semu fulani. Nipukua nakienda kanisani. Nikuwa naenda tuka vetu mmangu wanaenda. Kini kwa sinamuwe wakenda kanisani. Kumoja nipuenda kanisani, nikakuta kuna zozi la kugama buku sazani. Wale akawa mmoja hapo, wale watoto walupiwa buku sazani. Bada kufika nyumbani, akalifungu. Sikuwa amidi kijokuwa ndani ya buku. Wale akutua viatu, havi kumbana, wale havi kumpwai. Nisai zikabizi. Nipo fungu wale buku mazadi, nilikuwa nilipata flas sana. Nika kumbuka kwa mamangu, alikuwa naniambia, nisikate tamaa, nikuta subi la mungu watakisaidia. Na kupitia, kupata zile vile viatu, nikaza kupata mungu ya wakanda ganisani. Mwe wangu, kwa mungu saivi, kama nikani kwa nyumbani sinakazi, kwa yu nikana imani kwa mwana mimi, jepikuwa nilitenda zangu. Naenda kwenda kwa mungu na kumomba anisameza mbizangu. Katika mwa kujunga na safaliku, nachagulewa kwa mwalimu wa atoto. Na kupitia kari wangu mistari, nikaleta kaza kwa shudia na mwafikizangu waka ukoka. Imanangu langazika, nikajua kwa mba mungu achilei wala hawai. Kwa kweli, na mshukuru mungu sana kwa uwe mtu ambaye kama aliona kwa mba kuna mtoto ambaye naitaji la viyatu. Atukuelewa ndana ya mokusu mungu kuna nini. Hingawa kwa mungine uliolekana kama nimdomu kwa mungu niliona mkubwa sana. Nikasema akika mungu, wewe njiwa naitinda mungu. Thank you.
listen, when you start spreading the scent of Christ, you have no idea how far it's gonna travel. So here's my prayer for you, that today you will be a part of a movement to share and spread the aroma, the fragrance, the scent of Jesus everywhere you go and into the lives of everyone you meet. And if you're here this morning and there's, stirring, there's something stirring inside of you, maybe just maybe that's something from in your soul calling out to get a, a fresh smell of Christ, to breathe in deeply the aroma of Jesus for the very first time, the one who stepped out of heaven and came to earth to live a sinless life, die on a cross, and on the third day was raised from the dead. You can place your trust in him and breathe deeply the scent of Christ today by simply calling out to him. And you can do that right now. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making, you are. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking, you ground, and so I yield to you until you care for. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. So make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I can't live with nothing but all you've given me. So Jesus, bring me. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, in the soil, I never surrender. You are breaking new ground. See, you are breaking. You are breaking. So make me, make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me is Jesus written you are out of me, oh Jesus. Oh, Jesus, bring new life out of me. Sing that one more time, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, bring new life out of me. Because where there is new life, there is new power. And there is new freedom. And the kingdom is here. I'll lay down my old flame. See where there is new one. 
And where there is you 